one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Confirmed, the RB20's a total failure. It failed its crash test, blah, blah, blah. Whoa there, folks. There's a little bit more to this. So rumors have surfaced that as the 2024 cars are going through their crash tests, as are required, Red Bull have failed their first one regarding the front section of the car. Whereas Ferrari, they've been the good boys and recently passed one of their first crash tests. Now, naturally, upon people hearing this news, people were either in utter jubilation or in utter despair, thinking that, oh no, this is a major setback to Red Bull. They're going to be terrible and everyone else is going to win. It's a bit of a storm in the teacup. There is a lot more to this regarding crash tests and the way things go about when it comes to development of brand new cars. This basically means that Adrian Newey and his team have wanted to try out an extreme nose section to appeal to the desires of Max Verstappen, who tends to like a very grippy front end, and even though the RB19 was good there, the RB20 was supposedly looking to be even better, and improve on that even further. And much to the relief of Checo, who doesn't really like a pointy front end, it means they're pretty much just going to have to scale things back a little bit instead of getting rid of it entirely. That's the kicker. This is less of an oh no moment and more of a oh man, oh okay. All they're going to have to do is just take it down a notch, maybe add a little bit of weight to it and just try again. After all, the reason why most likely it failed the crash test was that it was probably built extremely light, cutting down as much weight as possible, and therefore it might have just crumpled a little bit and they just need to add a little bit of extra weight just to make it a little bit more substantial and can resist the crash test. Because after all, safety is first, folks. So yeah, this is just Newey just being a little bit greedy when it comes to performance over reliability and safety. But thankfully, there are checks and balances, meaning that the drivers are indeed safe. I think it's better to dial something quick back a little and find a happy medium rather than taking something docile and trying to find something extra where it might not be there. In the world of Formula One, I think it's quite common that cars do tend to fail the individual crash tests. After all, in 2022, the RB18 and the W13 failed their first initial crash tests, and they went on to pass them eventually once they went back to the drawing board and tweaked things a little bit to make it a little bit more sturdy. And with the W13, I mean, that made a lot more sense because they had the zero pod concept. They had to prove to the FIA that, hey, we technically can do the side pod test, even though we've got no pods. Uh, yeah, 
they just had a little technical bar there just to count as a side pod. Technicalities, folks. I reckon that Red Bull had a more reserved design for the RB20 just in case the more aggressive one failed. So it's not really going to lose them all that much time. It just means they'll just have a, a bit less of an aggressive and edgy one. Just a more of a settled one. It's all part of the process, folks. Just move along. Much like how Helmut Marko wants everybody to move along when he's actually made his own little comments about the situation and the rumours about the failed crash tests. He's much more relaxed since he's now gotten a three-year extension on his contract to do... what exactly? Be in charge of the junior development programme? Well, that's already being scaled back since Christian Horner is now much more keen to look outside the Red Bull wheelhouse for potential drivers, throwing much more speculation about who's going to be partnering Max Verstappen next year, and sort of diminishing the importance of the Red Bull Junior program. It's just a little bit like, well, what are you doing here, Helmer? Are we just keeping you around as part of the furniture? He basically says that if we pass the crash test first time, then it means that we won't have done our job right. And he does have a point there, because if you think about it, if you pass things right the first time, yes, it's great that you can move on to the next thing. But when it comes to a sport where performance is absolutely crucial and precisely what you really need to have, if you pass it first time, then you potentially left something on the table. I imagine Adrian knew if the RB20's front end had passed first time. He would have been going into his drawings. Damn it, I could have been bolder. Remember, this guy can get pretty bold, especially when we remember the days of the MP4A team. Now, you may not remember that because it did not actually race at all. In fact, it didn't look even close to racing. It got to the point where none of the McLaren drivers would even touch the thing because it was incredibly difficult to drive. In fact, it was borderline dangerous. Not even Alexander Wurtz, their test driver, would get in it after a while, just saying it was completely undrivable, that he would not want to go anywhere near it. It was a design that was a little bit too ahead of its time. Newey and Dennis were going with the compact aerodynamics package, a really tight one at that, something that the Honda McLarens of 2015 really suffered for, and it led to the MP418 being either unreliable, dangerous, or impossible to drive fast. They just did not call time on it until halfway through the 2003 season, and they were already dealing with the 2002 adaptation, the MP417D. It's my personal opinion that them splitting their efforts between the two cars, it led to, in my opinion, Ferrari catching up in the second half of that season, and Kimi Raikkonen losing out on the 2003 world title, because Schumacher barely got it. And just makes you think, if Kimi had that car, if they focused on the 17D throughout the entire year, they just scrapped the 18 very early on, Kimi would have had it. And considering how Ron Dennis really likes a fast and very fragile car rather than a slow, reliable one, that might have been his only chance to even get a chance of a title. And that was something that did dog Kimi Raikkonen's career, especially because the McLarens were pretty quick, but they would break down a lot. And that's why he left for Ferrari. Adrian Newey is a genius, but he's a stubborn genius because he was determined to make it work. And regardless of any of that and the RB20 nonsense, I don't think it really matters because there are now talks of the RB21 being already in development. What? We haven't seen the RB20 turn a wheel yet in reality. Why are they moving on to the 2025 car? The sports keeder, Ben Waterhouse, one of the Red Bull performance bods, basically said that the RB19 was good, but it had issues. Are you serious? It's one of the most dominant cars of all time. It's finally put to bed the old fabled 1988 McLaren stat that everyone keeps talking about. Now it's all about Red Bull and Max Verstappen's RB19 stat. That's going to be around for the next 35 years. Quite a bit to wrap your head around. But in short, they want to fix the issues that the RB19 had like it was less effective at Singapore in some of the street circuits, and which gave Carlos Sainz's standout win, 
it's standing out because it was a red car that won instead of a blue one. Singapore wasn't really of an issue because Red Bull tended to want to get a car that was good on pretty much all the tracks instead of being a track-specific model. You know like how we heard throughout 2023 having specific track upgrades that was good on one circuit and then they would move on to another one or some kind of configuration? That's what the teams had to do to try and even get close to Red Bull. Whereas Red Bull, they had the complete package for pretty much anywhere they went except Singapore. And they did make it quite clear that, yeah, we might not be as good here, but we tended to not want to focus on Singapore since it's only one track. And considering how good they were, I can see their point. But the real quote that's gotten people in a spin is that the RB20 is reportedly old news. It's been developed for six months now and that the RB21 has begun to be sketched out. What? So you mean if the RB20 does fix its street circuit issue, according to Max Verstappen, does that mean the RB21 would be even better? Does, does that even compute? But I'm not really surprised, to be honest, considering that the RB21 doesn't really have any roadblocks or regulation changes getting in the way in which they have to focus on. Or since the 2025 rule tweaks that were supposedly meant to focus on limiting outwash on the front end and on the floor has been pushed back to 2026, along with everything else, and then the development of the 2026 cars has been banned altogether throughout 2024. So all of those projects, they've had to be shelved for a year. So I guess all of those folks who are working on those cars have got nothing else to do. They're twiddling their thumbs. Why don't they just go and work on the 2025 car? Like I said, this isn't a Red Bull exclusive situation, but considering that the RB20 seemingly has room to grow from an already really good car, thanks to that crash test failure, and that they're happy enough to move to the 2025 model already, this is a clear sign of confidence in the machine that Verstappen and Perez will pilot next year. Now, does this mean that in 2024 we can expect the same amount of competition or lack thereof that we saw in 2023? Well, I don't really see that happening because 2023 was a huge surprise considering how dominant Red Bull were. That same element of surprise is not going to be a factor anymore. Of course, Red Bull will kick on and develop further. They will still be the fastest car, in my opinion. But I feel like the gap between them and the rest of the pack in the first few races will be smaller because of the fact that everyone is going to be throwing everything possible to try and get anywhere near Red Bull in terms of copying their concept or coming up with something altogether brand new. No, we're not going to see the whole thing of going, oh my god, Red Bull are that good? I mean, Ferrari seem to be quietly confident with their 676 project, which is reportedly clawing back some of the downforce lost from between the SF75 of 2022 and the SF23 of 2023 in exchange for reliability, as well as them trying to come up with something that's a mixture of the Red Bull concept as well as some of their own elements. And according to their developments in the wind tunnel, allegedly, this is allegedly, by the way, this is rumor, they have managed to claw back four and a half tenths in terms of lap time from these downforce upgrades. And in the world of Formula One, if you can bring a total upgrade of half a second, that's a big deal. Most of them tend to be two tenths, but this one's pretty hefty. And we could get a car that is quite as spicy as the SF75 was, but hopefully one that does not break down as often. If true, that would be enough to move them past Mercedes and McLaren in that department in terms of aero, but that might not mean toffee if the car keeps blowing up or other components can't make a race distance. Also, according to all of the reports, these upgrades tend to be favouring the likes of Charles Leclerc. All of his utterances have actually been on the positive side, whereas Carlos Sainz, he's been mostly talking about the car being different or unusual. That's less optimistic than I've heard from Charles, and Charles needs all the optimism that he can get, quite frankly. And all of these changes, this tectonic shift towards Leclerc has been going on since Suzuka, and I don't think it's going to be stopping anytime soon. That and Carlos's bad luck in the last two races meant that Charles Leclerc was able to get past Carlos in terms of the driver's standings. As for the W15, they seem to be focusing on Lewis Hamilton some more, because 
George Russell did have the momentum in 2022, but back for 2023, it went back to Lewis again when he started to be a little bit more vocal when it came to the development of the car. He is now more involved than ever, and in fact, more willing to be in the simulator, something that he is infamously known for being averse to going in the simulator. Now, what this is telling me from Ferrari and Mercedes is that they're looking to Red Bull and where the development is going for that car. They are starting to think, how is Red Bull so successful? Are they coming up with a really good car? Well, yes, obviously. But what is that all entailing? Why are they making it good? What for? Well, it's to appeal to Max Verstappen's driving style, since he is the one that, in theory, could win the Constructors' Championship for Red Bull by himself. I'm starting to see the old trend of just focusing around one driver in terms of development. It seems like at Red Bull they're going for a car that works best with Max Verstappen and that Sergio Perez has to simply just deal with. And maybe at certain tracks he might be a little bit closer to Max. And I'm starting to see that at Ferrari, they are going behind Charles Leclerc since he is their future. He is going to be around there for a very long time, many years. Whereas Carlos Sainz, it's debatable about where he's going to go. Same goes for Checo. Nobody knows where he's going to go or if he's going to be still at Red Bull next year. Max Verstappen though, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton... They are constants at the moment because Lewis is not looking to be retiring anytime soon because he wants that race in Africa. And he also is quite happy to be racing into his 40s. His priorities have changed. He wants that eighth title. So these teams are going to be focusing around one particular driver who's going to stay the course. That development is going to be worth it because they're not going away. All of these teams are just going, who's our best driver? Uh, You. We're going to build the car around you. You? Uh, suck it and see. So basically, we're going to the days of preferential treatment without actually admitting it, but we are seeing that here, folks. But what about McLaren? I'm not really seeing that in terms of which driver is going to be preferred, because they are very much going with the team-first model. And throughout 2023, as Oscar Piastri has been evolving and learning, I'm starting to see him actually being a little bit more confident with the MCL 60. And in theory, it's going to be an evolution into the MCL 38. And something that he can work with a little bit better than Lando Norris at some races and in the sprints. Now, does that mean they are going to be putting all of the attention behind Oscar Piastri and how he drives the car? Well, no, because Lando Norris has been there since 2019 and he's been with the McLaren outfit for a previous couple of years. They know his driving style. They are clearly going to be focusing on a car that can work to Lando Norris's style and full potential. And it just so happens that Oscar Piastri seems to be quite agreeable with it. He seems to be able to make it work. And hopefully, with all these developments and their successful line of upgrades throughout 2023, can make an MCL 38 that will be something that, that works in all conditions. And something that I've been saying in many videos is that if Lando Norris can have a good start, like the first couple of races are without trouble, and he can score some good points or even podiums, that's going to mean a lot for his entire season. Look at 2020. He started off with a podium. And that was one of his best years, 2020. He was on it. He was so optimistic that year. And that's very important. He needs a solid start. And McLaren really needs a solid start. I don't know whether I can hack another year where we go to Bahrain and McLaren are dead last. Please, I don't need that. None of us McLaren fans need that. And another thing in McLaren's favour, they seem to have a much more agreeable model in terms of an upgrade path. They had a car which was pretty solid at the end of the year, whereas Ferrari and Mercedes, they're going through utter changes in terms of their concept of car, especially Mercedes. This is an entire concept change from the Zeropod era, whereas the MCL60 was pretty agreeable toward the end. Now they're just going to be evolving it, like RB19 is evolving into the RB20. 
That constant is going to be key here and why I think McLaren will be on it from the start, whereas Ferrari and Mercedes might take a few races to catch up. In terms of Mercedes, maybe by Canada or something. But nevertheless, I feel like the RB20 will be an evolution and the fastest car out there. But then again, Adrian Newey is always keen for performance and gains and very determined to make them work. So I do see that maybe he might push the envelope too far and we might see a mechanical fault for the RB20 concerning Max Verstappen. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to my ladder ramblings. If you liked what you heard, do be sure to leave a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time I traverse the ladder, I hope you have a pleasant day. Goodbye. <laughs>